Welcome to season six of the RAG podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. And this show has been around since early 2019. And every week, we are obsessed with finding out how the world's most successful and innovative recruitment agencies and their founders have got to where they are today. In season six, alongside the founder's story and the inside information of that business, I also want to focus on the reality of today's economy. There is so much noise about this inevitable recession that we find ourselves in right now. And where it's going to go, is it really having an impact on the recruitment sector? Are they seeing any change in job flow? Are they seeing any change in candidate control or activity? What is going on? I want to find out. So every single week, I want to forget the propaganda, forget the noise. I'm going to speak to a real life recruitment owner and find out what is going on in their business. I'll bring it to you every single Wednesday from 12 o'clock across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the RAG Podcast. On today's episode, I was joined by John Dyson. John is the founder of FJR Group, a specialist recruitment firm headquartered in Manchester with an office in London, who operate across financial services, HR, and technology recruitment. John started the business 12 years ago in the same very same month of May 2011 that I personally started in recruitment. It feels like yesterday. Um, over that period of time, he's grown a business of over 50 people. He's opened multiple offices and he's changed his own role on a number of occasions. Most recently, John suffered an accident where he broke his back in a couple of places and had bleeding on the brain whilst having a snowboarding holiday in, uh, I think it's in France. That dis- that specific accident has then led to a load of decisions and changes to the business, um, which Perhaps John would never have foreseen, but has since had a really positive impact on where they are today. So in this episode, you're going to find out about a recruitment owner who I believe is doing things in kind of a hybrid way. There's a lot of recruitment owners who stay quite small and lean and wrap everything around them. Then you get those that look to build businesses as fast and as big as they can for growth and exit. And then John is he's kind of in between. He's building a leadership team, but he's very close to the, to the front line. He still builds and delivers revenue. Um, and he can clearly articulate why and how he's doing it, which is brilliant. So for anyone looking to grow their business in a in a more considered way, not wanting to be a lifestyle, but not necessarily wanting to be the biggest agency in the world, then I think this one will inspire and support you in many different ways. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did recording it. Without further ado, John, welcome to the RAG podcast. Thank you very much. Great to see you. No, pleasure, pleasure. And you wore the hat as well. I didn't even know you. I didn't even know when I asked you the request. I didn't think you'd do it, but you did. Yeah, well, I, th- I think if you, uh, if you, if, if most people that know me know that I wear a cap every day. Really? There's, right. there's, some, there's some very bad pictures of me at the weekend. I was at a uh, 1920s event and I had my hair slicked across. What's right. left of my hair? Yeah. Um, and there was a reason why I wear a cap. That's right. all I'll say. That's all well, I'll I'm, say. I'm doing this. I'm actually going through a stage where I want to see how grey my hair is, but I want to grow it. I'm going to have it. I want it long next year. I want to. I want to give it a go. Yeah. I want to do something radical. Um, yeah. So I'm wearing caps as well because it looks a bit of a mess on top. So I'll, yeah. I think I'll be. I'll be emulating you next year. Only for the year. <laughs> I think once it's grown out, I'll take it off. Um, yeah. But John, I've done you a brief introduction there, mate. But I can never yeah. ever do it justice for the people who don't know you. Just give us an overview of who you are and the business right now. I'm not. We'll go and do the 
the previous story after, but yep. just the kind of bird's eye view of you in the business today. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm John, known as JD to most people. Uh, I'm the founder of FJR Group. Uh, we've got offices in uh, Manchester and London. Um, there's about 45 people in the business or so. We've been running for coming up for 12 years in May next year. Um, we set the business up 12 years ago. It was myself and a couple of others. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's it's rich, literally been that sort of startup from kitchen table through to where we are today. Um, Specialise in what I call, I guess, the fat middle of the market. So that professional, um, I, guess, I guess, that mid-market professional level across finance, HR and technology. Mm -hmm. Technology is probably our biggest practice at the moment. Um, over the past 11 years, it's it has bounced between the three of them. So I guess as markets change, we've been able to adapt and invest in and and trim down to make sure, I guess, the markets that, that, that are moving are the ones that we're investing in. Businesses split probably 60, 40 in terms of revenues from a contract and perm perspective. Um, 60, so 60 contract. 60% of our revenues are contract, yeah. yeah. Um, and and I guess that that mix is always something that we we keep an eye on, but obviously it fluctuates. But you know, yeah. I, I guess that's where we sort of try and sit as a business, just to give us that consistency. Um, and the contract part of the, the the business is probably the part that's growing the most at the moment. Wow, interesting. Um, and in terms of the twelve, I mean, I'm thinking May 2011. That is the month I got into recruitment. So. Yeah. Yeah, I can remember yeah. it really. Of all the months of all the years, I remember it really well. I was in Australia and yeah. uh, I got into recruitment in, in Melbourne. Um, yep. So at that point of your life, what was what was your life outside of work like when you took that decision to start a business? Um, so if you spoke to my wife, she would probably point it as one of the, the, the worst times to ever set up. So at that time... I had my daughter who was born in the January. So she was four or five months old. Um, yeah. And I had a three-year-old and I had a four and a half, five-year-old. Yeah, that is literally pressure on, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, you, um, normally, you normally get people taking that plunge when they're, they're responsibility-free, but you had... Yeah. Probably your yeah, so I was 37, had a massive mortgage, um, you know, there, there was there was lots of pressure from everything. Um, so, you know, I think you know, hindsight, obviously, with all of these things, brilliant thing. I, I guess I wish I'd I wish I'd done this earlier. Um, mm. And you know, I think you know th those are the things. But you know, you then go back and two three years earlier, you're in the midst of the 2008 absolute crash of. You know, I remember driving in and out of Manchester and it's like, oh, this bank's lost X billion pounds. This one's lost this. And you're like, oh, my God, the world's ending. So I guess, you know, timings and all those things. I think sometimes it picks you as opposed to you pick it. Um, and I guess the one thing it's taught me is there's, there's, there is never a right time to go. I need all the stars to align. Let's go. No, sometimes no, no. you just have to you just have to go for it. Um, so going back to your previous role you're at robert half as a director right so what yeah you were there how many years seven years or so was it seven years seven years yeah. so so i joined so a quick very quick potted history joined a uh a, i didn't really know much about recruitment joined a financial recruitment business in hartford running a perm desk 
Um, it was a small business, a uh, business called Nigel Lynn Associates. It's not around anymore. Mm. Um, and I, I guess learned quite a lot there. And it was the, the leadership there was very much, um, there was a real vision. There was loads of energy. There was loads of ambition. There was, it was, it was a very exciting place. If you saw, I mean, and we, and we grew lots of small offices, um, you know, lots of six to eight people offices. I guess was their model in generally a lot of market towns across the UK, predominantly across the South. Um, so it was quite exciting, probably too perm dominated. Um, I guess the interesting thing about then going to Robert Half, I went to, uh, I was given a role as a, uh, what they call the branch manager, office manager in Birmingham. And I guess it was the first time that I sat in a business where it was 20 odd people, 25 odd people with ambitions to grow that one unit to 40 heads. Um, and they had really, really good metrics of this needs to be this, this needs to be this, this needs, like a real, really strong formula. Right. And I, I guess, you know, taking a lot of the lessons that I learned there and applying them at FJR, um, there's a lot that I know I come back to, if you start. I mean, so yeah. I guess in terms of learning, that was a, a, a brilliant, a brilliant training ground. Um, so, over the seven years, were you always in a leadership role, or did you go? From- yeah, so I literally went there, and I think one of the when I went there, I went into it in, as a leadership role. I didn't go in there as a as, as a billing consultant, um, and so I, you know, I started as branch manager in Birmingham, then started to look after, I guess, the West Midlands. Then I opened an office for them. Then I took over the Manchester office. Um, and sort of broadened the number of offices under my remit, then took over Leeds, then took over Scotland, then took over... Did you, did you have to move to all these locations? I just used to travel on a daily basis. So, I mean, literally, you know, as as many of us are in, I suppose, a regional role, you, you, you're up and out the door, you're overnight, you're all these sort of things. At the time, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, I was just married. Um, so didn't have kids at that point. So it was one of those things. It was just accepted. Yeah. That was that was that's how life was, you know. Um, and I think you know, it started to change as I had kids. And I think that's where you got where I got to a point where I stopped enjoying the role as much um, because I was spending a lot of time away. Yeah, yeah. And what? Where were you living? Where were you basing yourself? So uh, I was based between. Um, well, I was living in in Manchester um, yeah. for for all of that time. So right. Um, so that was my base. And, and yeah, Manchester's an easy place to travel from, whether you're going up to Scotland, whether you're going down to London, Milton Keynes, Birmingham. Yeah. yeah. Slightly, no slightly beholden on trains, but there you go. That's life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and as a, as, a, as, a, as a senior director in, in, a, in a business like Robert Half, my sort of, because I worked at Randstad and, and you know, I've seen, see, I, know, I know a lot of people who've worked in big businesses you can get kind of institutionalized a little bit into these companies yep. and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of red tape and a lot of you know you get kind of dis- you can get you can get quite distant from the from the yep. sales floor which then can almost restrict people's confidence in starting a business because yep. they've not been you know at the at the front line for so long yep. and they're like can i actually do this and i think there's probably you know probably more people leave these smaller businesses and start up because they're so close to the action than the bigger one. Yep. So what was it that kind of, how did you get to a point of thinking, right, I'm going to start a business? And did you have those doubts at all that, you know, perhaps the role you'd been running 
was not necessarily how you were going to have to perform to start a company. I mean, I, you know, being completely frank, the role that I was in and the role, that sort of regional role, we were a long way from clients. You know, yeah. it, it wasn't like day one, I opened up my little black book and went, oh, we did this deal six months ago. We did this deal. Th-. There was yeah. nothing. Literally, yeah. there was nothing. And That's what I was thinking, yeah. it, it was really daunting. Um, in that <clears throat> there were no relationships. There was, there, there wasn't, there wasn't, <laughs> there was, there was literally nothing. Um, and, you know, I think, I don't know whether it was the fact that, that, you, you know, you were in this position where you were a long way from the coalface and <clears throat> you, you know, it, it became, you know, a less fulfilling role. Um, you know, I think, I think part of, you know, leaving, um, I know that I was fairly disillusioned and I know that then you know, when you are, you, you lose that disillusionment, you, 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 you sort of lose that um, desire, you lose that, um, I guess you, you lose your mojo. And once you lose your mojo in recruitment, it's really difficult to do a good job yeah. um, because, you know, you, you, you don't have the same interest, you don't have the same energy, you know, you walk into a room and you need to have that. You need to be on your game, you know. And and I think, you know, we'll come on to it, I'm sure. But, you know, some of the changes that we've made within the business, it's about ensuring that we have this constant level of energy in the business. And that's yeah. super important. And that connectivity, for want of a really bad word, between, I suppose, the leadership and the guys at desk is critical. And yeah. I think certainly... Uh, uh, as at my last six months at half, I know I didn't do a great job. Um, and I guess coming in and knowing that I was going to go and set up on my own. I mean, you know, I remember it was stupid things like I, I, when I went and bought myself a home computer, I bought myself a really nice Apple Mac Air when they first came out. And I was like, that is what I'm setting my business up on. You know, and it was like, it was a real, internally a real statement, you know, like, I mean, I, I hate apples, but you know, at the time it was like a really big thing. And I remember buying it and I remember, and it was like, you know, it was my separate little police computer that I would just have to one side that, you know, any ideas and it sort of just became quite a big thing for me in terms of what we, what I wanted to do. Um, How did you make the decision that it was to start up and not maybe join somewhere else? If you disillusioned, what was the trigger that made you think, well, I'm going to be an entrepreneur? So my, um, my father-in-law had always worked in advertising um, and it's, and I guess the advertising model and the recruitment model is actually quite similar in terms of you get a lot of spin-offs, you've got some massive corporates. Um, I get on exceptionally well with my father-in-law and um, I guess he really encouraged me. He'd seen lots of people within his industry go and set up and do okay. Some do very well. Um, and he supported me financially when we went to set up and he's like, look, I've got this amount. It's, it's immaterial if I lose it. So just, just go and do your best. I back you go for it. Um, wow. And I guess that allowed me to, um, it gave me a lot of confidence, but it also allowed me to go, okay, I've got a little bit of money um, to look after the family for X period of time. I've got to pedal really, really fast because, you know, your invoices take a bit of time to come in. Da, 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 da. And there was, there was tons of stuff, uh, but I guess it was the, it was the challenge. Like I, I, I thrive in a position where there is a challenge. Um, mm. 
I like that. I like the the grit. I like the grind. I like the not necessarily the monotony quite like that, but I did um I did the marathon de sabla, so the the, the the six marathons in seven days in the desert in the Sahara. And I'm like, I was totally unfit. I not totally unfit. I wasn't fit enough compared to the other people doing it, but it's like I am not quitting. It's one foot in front of the other. That's all you have to do. You know, people in the war walked out of the desert with an arm hanging off and it, I, there's nothing wrong with me. My toenail hurts. I've got a blister. Man up, crack on. And I guess there's always been part of me that's like, right, you, you can do, anyone can do it. You, you have to have the mindset. You, you can't give up. There's going to be some really bleak times and there's going to be some, Times where it's like, you know, this is this is really hard, really difficult, um, and you just have to dig deep. But every morning, you have to wake up and put another foot in front of the other and keep going. Yeah, yeah. Like lay another brick. I just look at it like lay yeah. another brick. Bam, bam. So you said it was you and a few others. What was the situation? How did you set it up? So um, we bought across, um, I guess, the we bought across like a, an ops person, and there was another guy who uh, did had done some technology recruitment at half, and he came across. So it was just the three of us. Um, and I think was your, uh, were you the only founder? They were employed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what does FJ? Where's FJR come from? So uh, FJR, <laughs> these are all the things, the stories that you get when you set up a business. So FJR um, stands for Fraser John Recruitment. Yeah. Um, Fraser was my mother's maiden name and she passed away a little bit time before we set up. John, clearly me um, and recruitment, recruitment. Um, We then uh, we we traded under that name for seven years or so. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in 2017, 2018, when we opened London um, Fraser Jones, part of the SR group, got a bit snotty. and basically said that we were ripping ripping their name off um and so we then had to change um so whether we could have continued to fight but that's when you are as a as a small business you're just pouring money down a legal drain yeah yeah so i mean mean, eventually you get to a point where it's like right and we do we'd always known not i I guess in the background i'd already had fjr group as a domain name I'd always, always, I'd always had a, a, a sort of, I don't say backup, but we'd always had some of these different things. So it wasn't a particularly massive flip. All the brands were always FJR Technology, FJR Finance, FJR Human Resources, because I wanted each of the brands and practices to be really, yeah. really clear. So in some ways, it was, you know, it was, it, it was a good thing, but that, that's where that flipped from. Right. So take us back to day one, then paint the picture. Like imagine what, what was it like starting a business in 2011? I remember starting my recruitment career in 2011. I can go back to that. But so where were you? How did it all start? What was it like? Um, so, uh, I mean, I, I guess initially, I mean, day day one, um, it's almost like minus day ones was was all literally from my house um, doing a lot of the prep work. Um, I guess with with the two other employees that joined, we then had a serviced office in Manchester. Mm-hmm. It had four desks, um, and that was it. You know, we we didn't have computers, we didn't have anything when we you know, that day one we walked in. It, it was it was quite euphoric 
I think was is how I describe it. It was really, it was like, I don't know, you, you're setting sail for the first time, you know, suddenly it was free and, you know, I guess we were all around each other and there was a lot of, there was a lot of excitement in terms of where we go. Um, I think very quickly that sort of started to, to change in terms of, right, we, you need to get disciplined really quickly. I think it would have been very easy just to, to drift for, you know, this is exciting. We've got a little bit of money in the bank, you know, da, da, da. but it's investment money as opposed to real money that you've earned. Mm. So I, I think, you know, that, that changed quite quickly and, I think fairly quickly it became apparent that one of the guys that came across um, that did the technology um, it wasn't it wasn't coming together for him, um, and I think that was the hardest thing that sort of within six months someone you'd started a venture with, okay, they weren't a shareholder, you, you'd sort of had to say right that that's not going to work, it's not going to work, um, and at that point I guess when you're in a corporate environment you've always got that umbrella, you know, it's, it, it's not, not that you, as a, as, a, as a director, you'd hide behind something, but it's like, everyone knows that the business has metrics and all the rest of it. When it's your business, it's absolutely your decision. There's, there's no, there's no, well, you know, we've, we've got these standards and all the rest of it. It's like, like, no, John, you're choosing to say, you don't want me here. You don't believe in me. And I think that was probably the hardest still to date, probably the hardest person to let go because it was only me and only me making that decision. Um, and that was a big learning curve for me. And I probably hadn't, you know, in terms of managing that situation, how tight I was to what was going on every day with that person and making sure, I, I guess I'd probably given them too much rope um, when we first started. So, so that sort of changed things fairly quickly. Um, and then we started to hire, we probably grew to, 12 people within a couple of years so we grew yeah. quite, quite quickly a good time um, though, wasn't it 2011 12 was a good time yeah, yeah. Like, it was a really good time we're in a good really place. good and, and i guess i was quite fortunate in terms of i was able to pull on quite a few people from my network from half so there was i guess as you look through the business over the last 10 12 years there's been a fairly consistent stream of people that mm. have come from half I guess I talk their language. They trust me in terms of what I'd done previously. So, you know, even if I hadn't worked with them previously, there's that sort of, um, I guess, understanding of what it means to work there and the standards that you have to accept to, yeah. to, or the cat standards you have to work to, to, to stay there. And I think that's, that's been a, a real positive in attracting some of the people to the business over the years. Yeah. So how did you get set about like recruiting was it technology first because like, you've got those different divisions so, where... I, went, so I went so I, I went straight to finance so finance was where I originally yeah. set my career up so qualified permanent finance recruitment mm. and I literally it, it started with getting mailers out the door following up the mailers and and, and that was it you know there, there was no there was zero secret apart from that's what we had to do, you know, get on the phone, follow up, you know, business development, you know, taking candidates out to market. We didn't really have anything. We didn't have a brand. I didn't have a reputation in that market because I hadn't operated in it. It was literally meeting as many candidates as I could, um, some of whom we're still in touch with. I still think that probably the candidates that I met in the first six to 12 months 
a number of them have been clients, even though we didn't place them. So I guess I put a huge amount of effort and time in, in terms of making sure that I supported those individuals as much as possible. So they felt it was different. So then when they did turn up somewhere else, I was able to try and leverage, well, look, this is the, the candidate process that you had. This is the process that the candidates that we're going to work with to help you are going to go through. Surely you want that compared to the process that you had elsewhere. Um, and that stood us in really good stead. And I think that that treating a candidate as almost like a, you know, a, a family member in this, you know, when they're coming and sitting in front of a recruitment consultant, it's changed a little bit now because obviously a lot of it's over teams and stuff. But I guess back then you would have, you'd be sitting down, they'd be coming in, they'd be treating it as an interview. You know, they, they would be, I don't want to say kissing their wife goodbye and going, I'm going to meet this person. Hopefully they're going to be able to help me find a job. If I get a job, this might happen in terms of we can get a bigger mortgage. I can do this. I'm going to be close to home. Commute's going to be less. It matters to them and their family. And I guess I made sure that I tried to support people in that way and respected that relationship because that person would go home and go, I've, I've, I met this guy, John, today, and he said he's going to do this, 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 this for me. And hopefully mm-hmm. this is going to mean this for us. So you have to respect that Absolutely. and you have to then follow up. And and I think sometimes that's where we, we we fall off. We meet people, we give them promises, and then they never hear from the consultant again. And yeah. I don't think we necessarily understand the importance of that particular meeting in someone's, I don't say their life, but what it actually means to them and how they then sort of start to talk about it. So I think there's lots of things like that that I think um, we we did, I did quite well, which then started to set up a, a growing network um, of candidates and clients that I could start to leverage and then grow on from there. How, how did you perform billing wise before you started hiring? What sort of money did you generate before you thought about growing? Um, from a personal perspective, um, I think I was probably doing something like somewhere between 10 and 15 K a month. So it wasn't, it wasn't suddenly a spectacular number. Yeah. Um, but I guess I always knew I didn't set the business up to, for it to be my billings to, to do that. I, I knew that wasn't my strength. You know, yeah. I was not, I was a good biller, um, but I wasn't a half a million pound biller. You know, mm-hmm. that, that wasn't me. You know, I was, I went into the Birmingham office and it was always described as a sleeping giant, Robert Half. And within 18 months, I turned it into the number one performing office in the UK. And we did it back to back. I then went to, got given Manchester and I turned Manchester around and that was then the number one office in the UK. So for a three, four year period, the number one office in the Robert Half UK network was under my responsibility. And that's what I knew I was good at. Getting what, a group of how people. How do you describe that? Like, what's your formula to going into a, a an environment? And I'm going off piste a bit, but I like it. What's your formula to going into an organisation and and getting it on track? Um, I, I I don't think there is a formula as such. I think it is it is about you know it always comes back to people and it always comes back to those people buying into that vision and and the trust within a leadership group and. And I think there's been times when I've had a leadership group and, and it happened in Manchester um, it went, when I was at half that we had a, a, a group of people together for two years. We were flying, we, but I knew I was sticky plaster over relationships over, we, internally within that team. 
and you see it in, in sports teams where the sports team is a brilliant team, but there's something in the centre of it that that suddenly it just goes wrong. And the team that was brilliant last season, yeah, they just don't get on. And that chemistry's gone. And I guess I think probably I was relatively good at, at building that chemistry within the teams and, and building I, I, I guess a vision of what we wanted to do. Um, I'm not a brilliant detail person. Um, so it's not like I'm a real metrics and that that wasn't my strength. I, I, I had someone who was very good at producing a lot of, I guess, I don't want to say analysis, but you know, I guess that's the best way to put it, producing a load of figures. And I was then very good at sitting down with individuals and talking to them about their businesses, talking about the wider you know, business that, that it might have been. And, and where were the opportunities and how are we going to leverage those opportunities and what are we going to do to, to maximise those opportunities? So I guess that would probably be the, 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 the formula that I would say I had. I, yeah. But it wasn't like I went day one, I went, all right, okay, we need to do this, this and this. Um, I think I was a relatively good judge of character in terms of performance. Um, I, don't, I don't think anyone gets it right all the time. There's certainly been some picks that I go back over the years and go, that was a bit... Yeah, shit. But you know, I think it was about getting the, those groups of people together and then building that chemistry within that group, building that vision, and and building a, a trust within the team that everyone was was pushing in the same direction. So you, and I think sometimes when you do when you do hot house it like that, sometimes it does go wrong. You know, it, it goes really well, and then it suddenly feels like the house of cards just drops, and you're like, oh my god, you. Know, you you, 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 it doesn't. It, I don't think it's something that you can continue forever and ever and ever. You know, you you, you look at. I'm just to put it out there. I'm not comparing myself to Alex Ferguson here, but his ability to rebuild a team whilst the team was one was coming up, one was coming down, one was coming up is is a phenomenal talent. Um, yeah. And I think that consistency and longevity. Um, I don't think I can point to something in my career where I've been able to do that over a long, long period of time. Yeah. But I think over a two, three, four, five-year period, certainly that's the case. Yeah. I think it's a tough job, though, isn't it? Like running recruitment teams and it probably it's a bit like football management. You know, I think they, there needs to be a, a new face at some point where yeah. it's like it needs, ref- it needs a fresh approach and you need to go and do something else. Like look at Guardiola. I'm a big City fan and he's yeah. going to finish at some point. I mean, he's, he's a bit like Ferguson, the way he can build. He's just revolutionising yeah. the team. But... The way he left Dortmund, sorry, the way he left Barca, then he had a break, then went to Bayern, then he had a break, and then he's coming to City, and he will have another break. And yeah, I think, I think that you know, how did it compare doing that for Robert Half, but then doing it for yourself? What was the biggest difference in being a? Because you're growing out the team in the next in the first couple of years, you're getting twelve plus people. Yeah. What's the difference when it's your money, your team, your name on the door? Um. I actually think there's levels of, I guess, in a big business and you, know, you having worked within a big business, that level of politics and second guessing and all of that sort of stuff, that the, the wasted energy in the corporate businesses by the, the, the sort of, I don't want to say deception, that's wrong, but where they sort of slightly play people off against each other and all the rest of it, I guess because... I knew that I had all, I wasn't being played off against each other. There was a huge amount of emotional stress, I guess, 
that you carried around in a big corporate environment that just wasn't there. You know, suddenly you had all this headspace freedom where you're like, I wonder how I'm compared to this person or how this is or, oh, you know, the international zone directors coming over from the USA. This is all really stressful. And you're like, Ugh. and then all of a sudden you're like, you don't have to worry about any of that. You have to worry about real things like how are we going to get the cash in the bank? How are we going to do this? So I guess I was always um, probably quite... Um, I, I kept a lot of that to myself. I didn't. I wasn't overly um, open with all the information from a from a business perspective. Um, so I think I, I I enjoyed that freedom, that freedom to make decisions, that freedom to be able to go right. This is this. This is this. Um, I think probably from a personal perspective, the the stress levels that you have were different, especially as we started to grow and you started to get a bit bigger. You, you, you suddenly realize that, right, it's not just you anymore. It's you, you're responsible for 12 mortgages, 20 mortgages, 25 mortgages, and making sure that, you know, you hit payroll and you hit bonuses and you do these sort of things. And then I guess in a big corporate, you're so far away from cash flow, it makes no difference. You know, you, you, it's, yeah. just, it's just there. You don't expect it. Whereas all of a sudden you're like, right, you know, payday is almost relief day for you as opposed to relief that you've managed to get it done and it's yeah. and, and and everyone's being paid and you know there were times in the first six 12 months where i'm standing in that west um and i'm waiting for money to come into here to do this to to then make manual payments and all this sort of stuff and you're like you know that's a long time ago but it wasn't without that and then you know, you'd breathe a sigh of relief and go start right, again done. And that was the most, it, that was the most, you know, you used to, the stress used to be final day of the month trying to get everything closed and all the rest of it. And then you close it and you're like, crack on. But suddenly this was, this was big. You know, it, it suddenly became a very different level of, so it was a very different level of stress and pressure. Um, but I guess it, it was mine. And, and yeah. so that made it also a little bit different um, in terms of not mine, it was good, but but I guess I owned it. I didn't have someone else. I wasn't worried about what was thing of me or anything like that. It was right, John. Logically, what do you need to do to get this done? Right. First of all, you need to do this. Second of all, you need to do this. Third, of, and I, and I guess I was probably quite logical in terms of how I'd make sure I'd work through any of those challenges or problems. I'm interrupting today's episode to bring you a message from our sponsor, Vincere. Vincere is the all-in-one recruitment platform for the most innovative recruitment agencies on the planet. And they've put together a free CRM buyer's guide for you to read because so many recruitment leaders are looking to upgrade CRMs. But before you sign the contract, be sure to read the terms at least twice. There's so many common traps that you need to watch out for. So not understanding the pricing model is one that always comes up. Discounts limited to only the first year of a contract length is something that companies will throw. What are monthly contracts all about? Could this mean flexibility for the vendor to raise the price in the future? And how is your data hosted? Where is it? Is it anything outside your country? And could it mean compliance and legal issues for you down the line? So you will see the web address to get that right next to this episode Wherever you're watching this episode, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's Apple, Spotify, YouTube, just look below. You'll see the link, click the link and get that free guide. You will not regret learning all of these hacks before making your decision and locking yourself into a new contract with a new supplier. 
when I look at my business over the last five years, nearly six years, I, I think there's been like almost like three milestones, if you like. Like this the kind of I look at it in like a couple of phases. Yeah. Um, first, the early phase is like probably the first two years where we were just figuring out what the fuck we were doing, and then. Yeah, we had another phase where we stepped up and, and delivered a certain type of service. And then there's probably post-pandemic. Um, yep. How would you break your business? There's 12 years. Do you have those kind of milestone moments or key moments that you look back on and think the business transformed at different times? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I, I think we when we moved from the service offices, I think we had three three or four service offices as we're going from like, you know, four office to an eight office to a 12 office. Mm. I think that was, that was to me was one stage. We then moved into our own office and that, that felt like a big, a, it was like a grown up step. It's like, yeah. you know, we, 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 we'd moved. Um, and that was, that was quite big. That was our, own, then we had our own identity as a business and all the rest of it. More when was, so. when was it? 2013. Right, so a couple of years in. Um, a couple of years in, we moved in. Um, so I think then there was a phase there. And then I think there was probably a phase, um, probably similar post, post-pandemic. post You know, the, the pandemic changed the business massively in terms of how it was working and all the rest of it. So I think probably that 20, 2020, 2019, 2020, the, the, the business changed again. Um, we we brought in more senior leaders into the business by that stage. Um, and I guess we were then more operating as a bigger business with you know, a, a leadership team. And it was it was very different to me driving everything on a, on a sales basis. It was then, you know, we had someone running sort of the, the, the Manchester business, someone running the London business. You know, the, the, we started to look at the Edinburgh business. So we suddenly had a, a, a bigger footprint. Um, What's the, what's the driver for having those multiple offices at the size you were when you opened them? Um, I guess more opportunity. Um, I think, you know, absolutely you can, you can be, you know, I think, and this is one of the things from the, from, from the pandemic, I think London, um, I guess just the size of the market is, is obviously always attractive. And I think we knew finding good people and knowing that they were London based, it, it sort of, again, it was within that, that sort of Robert Half network where we could pull people out of. Yeah. So I guess part of it was finding people that we knew were good and we knew we wouldn't have them in Manchester. Um, I guess the Edinburgh Priest was was linked to, you know, Max had used to work in Edinburgh. Um, that was his, his, his turf. And I think, you know, we thought that there was an opportunity in terms of the technology growth and all the rest of it up there. Um, it, it, it didn't quite work how we thought it was going to. We didn't have the right leadership. And, mm. you know, ultimately we got to a position where, you know, that's, that's going to be, you know, shut down, if you see what I mean. So, you know, it's not, it hasn't been a perfect run. It's not like, you know, right, we've hit three home runs. Um, you know, we've had to do a lot of work in terms of making sure the right people are in different locations. And I think it it did change the dynamics of the business massively when we went from one location to two locations. And I guess most of the people who worked in London had always worked in a London office that was, that was the dominant office in the UK. You know, they were used to being the the big dogs. Hmm. And then all of a sudden we, our head office was Manchester. 
And so they always felt like suddenly from being with the big dogs in, in whatever business they were in to suddenly feeling like they were the poor relation to Manchester, where yeah, the head yeah. office was, where finance was based, where all the ops people were based and all the rest of it. So that was an interesting dynamic that probably I hadn't considered quite in the same way. And, and having multiple locations, I don't, yes, there is advantages to it, but there's also some big disadvantages to it. You know, we now sort of cover the Midlands from Manchester. You know, so we're, we've got more geographical teams out of one location. And I think having that centre of excellence in one place to cover more of the country would be how we would go. You know, yeah. I guess when we start, like, yeah, we'll, we'll go here, we'll go here, we'll go here, we'll go, you know, four or five locations in the UK. Whereas I think now we will just stick with London and we'll stick with Manchester. And um, yeah. never say never, but I think you'll end up with a Midlands team out of Manchester. You'll have you'll in London, you'll end up with I don't know, a team that's covering the southwest from London. And you you'll you'll utilize the technologies that everyone's so you comfortable mean, using now. You're meeting people a lot face to face. I think, you know, like when I recruited in London, we used to I worked, I lived yeah, the, the office is on Fleet Street and the clients were in the insurance market on off Leadenhall Street, right? So it was just yeah. a 15 minute walk. And every day of the week, I'd be in meetings with coffees and lunches yeah. and whatever. So, but my brother works for Oliver James in Manchester and recruits the same industry, not different roles, but Lloyd's of London insurance market. And yeah. I think he's, he used to go once a week. I don't think he, he barely goes down now since the pandemic, yeah. but he's still producing, he's still top builder in the UK per, yeah. per recruiter, right? So I, I don't know. I think pre-pandemic, I would have been like, yeah, you have to have boots on the ground in certain, especially London. But now I'm like, yeah. do you? Yeah. Other than getting the talent, like you say, it's, it's a talent yeah. hub. Other than yeah. that, do you actually need to be there to produce great results? I, I, I don't think you do. And I think we were similar in terms of we went into that sort of banking ops market. So it was, you know, in bank, you know, yeah. as you say, you know, meeting people beers at lunchtime. And, and, and you know, it was, it was very, very relationship driven. And I think that's changed somewhat. You know, you look at some of the big banks, you look at the big, you know, a lot of the big businesses anyway are bringing in internal talent teams anyway. So it's a different relationship that you're servicing yeah. anyway. Um, so I think certainly from that perspective, the, the, the necessity to have boots on the ground, I don't think is there in the same way. Um, you know, you look, there's a lot of successful businesses in the UK that are recruiting UK and they were actually recruiting in the US. They're recruiting yeah, in Europe. Right. They're recruiting. So yeah. I think that's that's changed massively. Um, you know, uh, and I think everyone is far more comfortable with it. And I think the services that you can bolt onto your business, in terms of you know operating in the US through I don't want to say it's like a shell company, or it sounds a bit dodgy, but like through a, through an intermediary in the US or an intermediary in this country. Where, yeah. Yes, there's cost to it. But a lot of the time, the margin is strong enough to be able to eat, eat so I, I suppose, bear those additional costs. But it also saves on the complexity of the business. Because I think I once yeah. went to an event with Russell Clements, S3, and he said, adding to a second office to your business times is doesn't doesn't double the complexity. It probably 10x is your complexity. Absolutely. Like, and it, yeah, I think like for me, we went remote in the pandemic and then we started hiring internationally. So we have majority of our team are in South Africa. We have a couple in the Europe and a couple and the rest in the UK. But because no one's in the office, yep. it, doesn't, it doesn't, yes, you do feel like there's a South African team and a British team, but actually no one's, yep. we're all living a very similar experience. So it's, it doesn't feel any more, to me, it doesn't feel any more complex other than setting up a company entity and the financial side of it. So yep. I think 
when you office bound people and sit them together every day, it, it changes it. Um, yeah. So I remember I, I met a few of your guys in London in 2018 or so, pre-pandemic, yeah. when I think you were just starting to make, and I remember they're making a name for themselves. Um, yeah. How was that? How, how how was the last couple of years evolved? So the the pandemic affected everyone in different ways. Yeah. How would you how would you explain the or describe the experience that you guys had with it? Um, I think for, for for us, it probably just. I mean, I remember it. We were so we have the the, the big adventure, which is our annual top performers thing. Right. We go skiing, um, and I remember we were all in we were all in Valteren, right. and. Um, there was this thing called COVID and there was rumours of this and it was in March yeah, and yeah. we were like, should we go? Should we not go? Is it responsible? Is it not responsible to go? You know, and we decided to go. Um, yeah, yeah. So we were there and I guess you'd started to hear on the, the news and all the, like, this is being shut down. This might be shut down. This might be shut down. Speaking to the ski guides and stuff like that, they're like, yeah, no, it's fine. We're all good. You know, nothing's going to happen. One day, came back to the hotel um, after a day out, and literally there was signs all over the hotel. You need to have left the hotel by midday tomorrow, otherwise you're locked in France for the next two weeks. Fortunately, we were being picked up the next day at sort of nine o'clock, um, so we all got home safely and all the rest of it. And I guess for probably eight to twelve weeks took the wind completely out of our sails i guess is is you know that quarter was that a standout quarter for us that q1 2020 as it was for, for many businesses but you know it, it was it was a great quarter for us yeah yeah i remember um, london was london was doing particularly you know it, it hit its growth straps had a great team um and i guess it all of that suddenly changed everyone went remote overnight um I think as a business, we did a good job in terms of getting everyone set up and we were on desktops and then getting laptops as everyone was trying to find laptops and it, they were coming from anywhere, whether it eBay, was it here? It was just, you just needed a laptop, you know, and, and suddenly you're like, I guess as a business, you, you, you just, we, we were so underprepared in terms of suddenly having everyone working from home. It, you know, it was, it was a big change for everyone. So I think it took us two or three months to to absolve from that. It took two or three months for the market to work out what was going to happen. And then you realize actually the world hadn't ended. All companies were adapting and recruitment was still going to happen. Um, so I then, you know, we went through, you know, all our meetings were on Teams and all the rest of it. I think it became a little bit, um, it lost some of the, the fun and the culture, I guess was, you know, I... I I enjoy the recruitment buzz. I enjoy being around recruitment people. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think there's there's a type. Um, I think, you know, and, and I think that that coincided with with a few other things beginning to happen um, from a personal perspective. Um, and I don't think I think that's when it started to. I, I guess from a personal perspective, started to change quite a bit in terms of Max had joined six months before or so um uh we had leadership in london and i think the two businesses started to just sort of go like that go back to that comment that you said it's not two x problems you just end up with two very different cultures two businesses yeah. being run in a very very different way and because you can't necessarily get your hands around everyone yeah we had you know um 
company-wide calls once a month, once a week, whatever they were, but, you know, to try and get that feeling of community. But like you say, there's, there's still little fractures between this team, this team. And I think yeah. as, as, as that grew, it just grew and grew and grew. And, and what was your was role? Very... What was your role at that point? Were you, were you sat above with the Manchester? So, so there was, there was me and then we had um, a managing partner in London and we had a managing partner in um, uh, Manchester. So they would look after the day-to-day of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then we had a CFO, CFO sort of COO. Um, and I guess the four of us would collectively run the business. Mm. They were responsible on a day-to-day basis. And I guess I was probably looking at probably some more of the strategy stuff. Um, I've always kept my hand in. And I think the one thing that has changed from, let's say, the half days into where we are today is I will still it's still important to me to make sure that I can bring business in. It's still important to me that I deliver business. I, I, I do a lot more of my work at the exec level because um, I can actually utilize the skills that I've got of running a business to be challenging a CFO, to be challenging yeah, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, an yeah. HR person. And okay, the business is very different, but but I guess my experience of you can have a different a level of conversation than most recruiters are. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you did. So, so, and, and I like the fact, you know, it's, it, it, we all like dumping a fee on the board. You know, we yeah, all yeah, like yeah. our name and lights. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I guess that's that's remained important to me. And it's remained important to me to be um, able to provide jobs for other guys to work on. And so that, that business development piece, whilst I'm not saying I'm hitting the phone 50 times a day, my network is really important to me to make sure that I can still, at the end of the year, point to, well, I've still generated hundred grand's worth of fees, 150 yeah. grand's worth of fees, whatever that number is, I don't have a target over my head, but every month I want to, I, I almost have an internal target that I want to be like, that fee was something to do with me on tech. That one was something to me on finance, that one, you know, and it, yeah. and, and I guess the importance of just being able to do that for the team is, is really important. Going back to that point that you made earlier in, 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 in the conversation around, you can start to lose touch. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I don't deliver in terms of um, yeah. A lot of the roles will be not at an exec level, yeah. And 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 I don't have the market knowledge in that space. But within the exec level, whether it's chief commercial officers, COOs, CFOs, yeah, and quite often I'll partner with one of the guys in in the relevant team to to help bring them up to that level, but also to make sure that we deliver a, a fantastic service for for the clients. So. Yeah, again, that's that's a, a very big change, even though we've grown to some extent um, compared to what I was doing previously in, in a corporate business. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's good taking those learnings and, and, and implementing the change. Going back then, you come out of the pandemic and you've got two very different businesses. How do you re- what, what I know you've made some changes to the leadership yeah. structure. So what was the catalyst for that and, and what did you do? So there's, there was a few... <laughs> There's a few bits from a personal perspective that probably instigated some of the changes. So um, I had a snowboarding accident in March um, and I broke my back in two places. I broke my neck and had a bleed on the brain. So I was was effectively um, in a position all of a sudden where it was like, right, I had to make some calls very quickly um, about what was going to happen because I was going to be out of the business for a period of time. I was, I was in Mac Hospital 
lovely hospital. They were brilliant, um, but I wouldn't choose it as a hospital to go to. But I was in Mac Hospital, um, and it was it was quite scary. You know, people giving you brain scans. You know, you might have to go up to Salford. You might have to have brain surgery. Where were you when you had the accident? In Valteren. So you got flown back, did you? And no, well, I came back, and and I'd, I'd hit my head whilst I was out there, um, and I came back and. Um, I knew something wasn't right. And I went up to Mac the day after I flew back and was like, I don't, I don't feel right. Bit funny in the back, but you know, not, not pain, but just a bit funny. Put me through a CT scanner and literally the lady said, could you go and sit in that wheelchair, please? And I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound very good. Um, and then obviously they, they sort of gave me, this is what happened. This will happen. This will happen. You know, you need to stay in hospital. You know, we need to monitor the bleed on the brain. Um, if, if it doesn't do this, 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 and this, we're going to have to blue light you up to Salford and you're basically going to have to have a operation to release the pressure in your brain and all this sort of stuff. So I had to make a call very, very quickly in terms of, right, what happens within the business and, and, and how's that going? Now, um, we had two fairly different businesses and I guess my relationship with with um, Max was, was, was very strong predominantly probably because I was with him more often, if you see yeah. what I mean, but also I guess he was early thirties. I'd always seen him as, um, someone who I thought could very similar values to me, very similar way in terms of building the business. Obviously he was actual, but half he, we had a similar philosophy, um, I know you've had conversations with him. He's got bags oh, yeah. of energy. He's very right. enthusiastic. He's very on the front foot. Um, and I guess not knowing how long I was going to be out for, not knowing what was going to be happening, it was like, right, Max, you need to take charge. You, you, you need to step up. And, and, and I want you to be, at the time, it was chief revenue officer. I want you to do that. And everything goes through you. Whilst I'm, I'm out, I, I, I wasn't even in really telephone conversation i was like i just needed to be out um and and I, what was interesting is when you spoke to the neurologists and all the rest of it they were like don't make any big decisions don't don't do anything life-changing at this point because your brain won't be working potentially properly and your decision making and all this sort of stuff um but clearly you have to do something if you run a business did you feel you with it did you feel with it though like you could you felt okay uh, in your brain i i, I felt fine if you sort of did you know like cognitively i felt yeah. fine yeah though i didn't have any issues with my speech or anything like that yeah. um i had some fairly bad headaches and all the rest of it but you know i don't i now so what seven eight months on i don't look back and regret any of those decisions if you said, yeah. they, they, were, they were definitely the right decisions for the bit of time and so what, what decision did I you guess, make giving you, you passed you passed the reins. So basically, we, we 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 put Max into like a chief revenue officer role, and then um, and take putting him responsible for, I guess, the sales across the business, right. driving that part. We then had um, our sort of CFO step into like a CFO COO role. Um, she worked very well with um, Max, and I guess that then solidified at the top of the business what that looked like. Um, we wanted the managing partner um, in London to come into like a almost like an innovation role, support some of the like training development and all the rest of it. 
Um, I think in hindsight, that probably wasn't quite the right role for him in yeah. terms of what he wanted to do. Um, so, and, and probably then you look at it and you go, we had three very expensive people trying to go into an apex and probably everyone wanted the top of that apex um, and it wasn't going to work. No. Um, so at some point you then have to go, okay, we, we need to make some, some, some changes. Um, and I think unfortunately post pandemic, we lost a couple of really strong people in London that took the sail, the wind out of the sails in London, probably more so. So the performance in London had dropped quite a lot from pre-pandemic to post-pandemic. And the potential that the business had um, had also dropped down a lot and it needed a lot of re-engineering. And I think we needed um, we needed to find, I guess, that really hard talent to find in that sort of, I don't know, people who are in their mid-20s on their way up. They need training. They need development. But going into London and going, we're just going to hire experienced people is really expensive. <laughs> it's really, you know, you're paying, you're paying over the odds to pull them out. You're, you've got to pay them massive commission schemes to try and pull them out. Um, and I think the, the importance of being able to go, right, we're going to build this um, with, we're going to train our own and build them up was also a big thing. And I think that plays more so into Max's strengths than it did the other person. And I think probably our model Going back to that question you asked me a, a few minutes ago about the stages in the business, I think up until probably two or three years ago, we probably did have more of a model where we would go and hire experienced people and bring them into the business. Um, whereas I think we've slightly pivoted and through the pandemic probably pivoted to go, we need to train our own. If, if we're serious about medium long-term growth, we need to train our own. You can't just keep hiring experienced people. When they bill, it's great. When they don't, it makes you cry. Yeah. And, and I think that was, that was a big change. Yeah. makes sense. Makes sense. So how have you, how have you come back into the business and how has the transition of having one leader in max across the country? Yeah. Does, how has that all come and, and, and embedded in? So I think from my perspective, um, I like when we started to put it together, you know, max was like, well, you, or, you, know, you be you can be like chairman and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, I'm 48 years old. I don't want to be a chairman. I don't, that feels like I'm I'm going out to retire. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've all, I've never called myself the CEO of the business. I've always called myself just the founder. So I'm like, look, I'm I'm happy being the founder. That's it. I don't need anything else. I don't need anything else with the title. I guess my role has changed in terms of I support Max in a, in a in a different way, and I, and I guess my because of all the other things that have happened, um, I and I guess us going back to the office three days a week. I'm I'm probably in the office once or twice a week now. Um, I'm I'm doing more of the training and development. So I've sort of said to um, Max that I'm going to take on. We've called it the the Kaizen Academy. So building the sort of training and development and taking all the new hires through a process from a theory perspective. And I guess then the managers are doing it at desk practically, but I guess making sure that we're setting all of those individuals up to be successful um, from a theory perspective, it gives me an opportunity to meet all the individuals. It gives me an opportunity to 
um, I guess, assess the talent coming through the business and support Max in decision-making and all the rest of it. Um, I guess the other thing is, I <laughs> it sounds like a, a, a horror show, but August 2020, just in the mid-pandemic, I got diagnosed with chronic kidney disease. So right. I, I, I don't drink. Um, and I guess in recruitment, I'm not saying you have to drink. That's That's certainly what I'm saying. But I guess that ability to go and have a pint with everyone and shoot the breeze and that, that, that social part changed massively for me. And I think certainly then the connection with some of the new people coming into the business started to, to, to get stretched. And I think that was the importance of, you know, Max bridging that gap between me and them is a critical part of the jigsaw. Um, and so I think, there was a number of reasons sitting behind having that one person that was able to have that energy, do those sort of things. And I, I guess be the face on a day-to-day -day basis of you know, driving the sales. Um, and I guess my role then has sort of changed. And, and I guess you would sort of put me into a, a, a chairman category, although I, I don't really want to be called a chairman. Maybe on my 50th birthday, I'll promote myself to being chairman on my LinkedIn profile, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's not, it's, it's i still want to be involved in the business i i i you know as i you know chat with max yesterday in 10 15 years time i still want to be at that point where if if we decide to sell out as a business i still want to be sitting next to him being involved and and you know it's it's certainly not i'm swanning off into some sort of retirement or anything like that no. you know it's a business that i love and i've worked you know, for 12 years or 11 years to build it. And I couldn't imagine, it's, it sounds like I'm talking about a girlfriend. I couldn't imagine it not being in my life yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, because it, 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 you know, it's been such an important part of the last 12 years. Amazing. I love that. I mean, I don't know. We, we've been, we've been through it a bit, me and my business partner, where you get, you get fixated on certain things and exit sale and exit is such a glamorous and consistent message that, you know, founders go through but we've said the same thing like we just enjoy it like what would we do yep. like we sold it what else we're going to start somewhere else from scratch it's like yep. well, let's not put a time limit on these let's not rush these things let's enjoy it and yeah and it sounds like it sounds like you're doing that um i mean i i, I genuinely I, I i love it but i love it because of the people that are in the business and and you know genuinely um yeah that 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 leadership group that i've I've, I've found myself with now, um, you know, both Max and Neves, you know, they, they, they know pretty much every, every part of my business, every part of my life, if you see what I mean. And it's, you know, I, I, I love the fact that, that we are on that journey, you know, and there's, and there's a the tier of, of, you know, partners that sit below that, um, you know, Mario, Riz, there's others coming through. And I love the fact that we're on a journey together. We're on this adventure together. And I do call it an adventure because running a business is an adventure. An adventure has its highs, it has its lows. And you, know, you don't really know what's around the corner. You know, you can write the best budget. You can write the best, you know. When I set up, if someone had told me, right, 12 years later, John, we'll have left Europe. We'll have had a global pandemic. We'll have had, you know, three prime ministers in three months at this point, there'll be a war in Europe. You're like, Jesus Christ, how, how, how would anyone ever 
you know, forecast that, do that, and all the rest. Of it. So, we, so when I look what we've worked through, I'm really proud that we're still sitting here today. If you sit, I mean, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. and I've got some amazing memories of the last twelve years, and and I guess I've, I, I think I've probably built a, you know, when you're in, you're part of the family. When you're out, you're out. There is there probably isn't that same sort of. Um, you know, the, the, the care and attention to the, the individuals that have decided to leave, that's their choice. You know, I can't, you can't keep everyone within your business. And I guess I've had to grow a thick skin because over the years, in the same way I've asked people to leave and it's my decision, when they choose to leave, they're choosing to leave me and my business. And mm. initially, for the Can first few years, I found that quite difficult um, and quite personal. Whereas I think the way I dealt with that was, all right, you've left. And I don't mean in a horrible way you're dead to me. That's, that's that, you know, I'm still in contact with many of them as as, as friends. But you I guess my... Time, my you've you got time, have No. And, 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 you know, I come back to, you know, I speak to my wife about it. And my wife's like, look, John, they've gone. Yeah, they, they've left. What do you care? Makes no difference. It's not going to help our kids. It's not going to help no. put food on the table for the kids. And, and you know, I guess that, that grounding part is... It's quite an important part for me just in terms of, you know, that separation again gave me that headspace and that little bit more freedom to go, do you know what? They've left and they left for these reasons. And that's that. Love it. Line drawn. I, 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 I definitely can empathize with that. I can totally, the pay, I felt a lot of hurt early days and nowadays I'm a bit like less. Obviously, I want people to to enjoy the time with us and if they move on or whatever, but you've got to focus on what you can control and you've got to, you've got to position your energy in a way that you've only got a finite amount of time and energy. You've got to put it in the right yeah. direction. You focused on things that are gone and you know, you're wasting your time. I think my final question would be then we're going into an economic or we're in an ep- economic turbulent time, right? Obviously with all yeah. the changes of prime ministers and wars and, and I, this season, I don't want to dwell on the recession, but I have to address yeah. it. Every, every yeah. week I want to ask what people genuinely are seeing and feeling in their businesses. So what would you say right now, have you, are you seeing any genuine change in terms of job flow or candidates, any, any part of the business based on the economic changes that are being put? Um, so right now, excuse me, um, I don't think we are seeing any particular change in job flow. Um, I don't think we're necessarily seeing any change in, I think some of the time to offer has slowed a little bit. It feels like there may be some more hoops that need to be jumped, like from a client side, more sign off and some of that. So I think there's a there's a little bit more caution as offers are going through. Um, I definitely think clients are being, you know, there was, I don't want to say like a wild west of like, offers going out and salaries increasing and increasing and increasing. I think that's slowed. I think everyone is having to meet market expectations, but probably some of the crazy offers that, that were beginning to come out, they're not happening anymore. So I think that's, that's, that's slowed somewhat, but I don't think, you know, as, as a business, we're not necessarily seeing any significant change. I think, there will start to be more change. I think I think there's a lot of things that are happening in the background that will start to, to change. I think fortunately, because technology is our biggest business, um, that it, it, it will slow somewhat. 
but I don't. I, so I think the growth roles potentially will go away. But there's still a ton of VC money going into and equity money going into technology businesses. That you, that, that you, you look at the investment still going in. That's still going. So I think for that part, I'm, I'm not as concerned for that 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 business arena. That that you know the, the technology practice. Having worked in financial recruitment for since 1997, like that's there's there's a number of recessions I've worked through during that time. There's always a, again a little bit of a dip, but every company needs their finance team. Every company needs to make sure that their numbers are correct, and whether it's they're forecasting their cash, whether it's them looking at things in a little bit more detail, whether it's reducing costs, whether it's you know, efficiencies, whatever it might be, that becomes front front and center of decision making from a CEO's perspective. So the finance business may take a slight dip, but it, it doesn't it doesn't crash. There's the, you know it, it, it's super super important. Um, uh, I think we'll probably see potentially a slight increase in some of the contractor numbers because people can start to do things on fixed term and look at projects and all the rest of it. Um, I think HR, you know, that retention piece, there's still, you know, I saw something yesterday, I think um, Sky News put something out that, you know, it, Sky News, doom and gloom, doom and gloom. Oh, the good thing is, is that, you know, there's still loads of jobs coming onto the market, but there's going to be more candidates looking or there's something and you like, I'm not sure that's the case. I still think it's really tough to find good talent in the market, you know, and the good talent that finding that good talent, they're, all, they're also going to be slightly cautious about moving. So working with a recruitment partner to fight, you know, sticking out your own advert as a company is not necessarily going to get you the solution because you're going to need someone who's going to be your partner to help try and unseat the really good talent in the market. That hasn't changed. No. So I think... I'm not, you know, I'm not being blasé about what I think the next two or three years are going to be like, but I, I think that those individuals running their desks, those businesses that are building high quality relationships, those businesses that are, you know, making sure that they are doing their business development and not just hiding behind big mailer programs or, you know, that they're, they're building proper one-on-one -on -one relationships, um, and have a really strong, I suppose, business development, client acquisition strategy that they follow and they deliver on, I think will be okay. Um, it's not without a lot more hard work. It may be that you're going to have to make 10, 20% more calls. It may be to meet 10% more people, you know, and, and I think those things, yeah, that, that might be what needs to do to maintain the same numbers. So it might be that we have to work a little bit harder or do a bit more to get to the same place. But I don't necessarily think that the market is suddenly going to drop away to the point where, you know, we're, 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 we're doomed, if you see what I mean. I think no. reading Sky News is definitely not the best place to feel confident about the next few years. I just stay away from it personally. And I just, you know, I, I honestly do. I've not read, not watched the news in since the pandemic. I've just... I don't yeah. know. I just stay away from it. I, I get my news from social, really, things that people, yeah. you know, people that, that talk about and, and client and conversation. Um, John, yeah. we're up. We're, we're we're out of time, but what a what an amazing um, outlook I think you've got in terms of the way you've built a business. It's quite unique. In in 
you're kind of hybrid in, in a lot of ways. There's a lot of people that yeah. are like, just grow, 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 grow for the sake of growth. Got to be the biggest company ever, got to sell for 100 million. And that's fine. Then you get a lot of people who are a bit more, you know, they keep it really close to them. It's all wrapped around them and it's very much a lifestyle or I don't even know if that's the right word, but it's a it's a boutique feeling when it's, but you're kind of, you're kind of in between. You're growing at your yeah. own pace. You're building a really strong leadership team. You want to stay close to it for the right reasons. You want to stay true to the fact that you know you want to stay closer to the front than you were in in Robert Hall. I think you know I've really, I've personally really enjoyed it and and learned a lot. And and I can Thank see you. quite similar. It's a different company model, but as you say, advertising, marketing, branding is, is similar to recruitment. I think yep. the way I operate is quite similar in a lot of ways. So um, I reckon it'll add a lot of value to a lot of people. If anyone's watching or listening back and they've enjoyed it and want to ask you any questions. Are you open to a, a little? Yeah, absolutely, and- absolutely. Just, just drop me, drop me a message. Um, yeah, I mean, just email me directly. It's John Dyson at fjrgroup.com. Yeah, wicked. You know, All more, right, more, more than happy. Amazing, and uh, we'll get you on again in the future and see how the evolution of FJR Group goes. In the meantime, stay safe, look after yourself. No more snowboarding. I think you've got to be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the old <laughs> and, uh, and we'll uh, we'll see you very soon. Okay. Brilliant. Well, look. Thank you very much. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn that's how to brand themselves that's how to produce content that's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business we're coaching people all over the world every single day if any of that sounds of interest please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me Sean Anderson a personal message on LinkedIn and would love to talk to you I'll see you soon